it's time for a Science Talks podcast. Do you like that? I, yeah. Yeah. I, I do. It's pretty upbeat. It's pretty peppy. Who's tuning out? No one. No one. Everybody's excited now. Or at least if they're regular listeners of this podcast, they know to expect it. Yeah. I'm Rachel Morgan. That's Corey Craft. What else do we say in the intro? We're going to talk it. about movies. We're going to talk about movies. Let's, let's talk get, about some movies. Let's get going. For over one million years, Rachel and Corey have talked. And now they share with you one of the greatest accomplishments of all time. Their list of the top 200 films. Oh man, Corey, this is it. This is our top fucking four. Our four favorite movies of all time. Ready to get into it. Yeah, let's do it. But you know what? Let's just really quickly, let me just say my my four that preceded this. Uh-huh. So my number, I, I'm bad at math, but my number eight through five was Citizen Kane, Pretty in Pink, General Orders number nine, and Carol. Yep. And what were yours? Uh, A Serious Man, Magnolia, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's you kind of a cheat. cheat. You got a cheat in there. And then Adam McKay's stepbrothers, which everybody applauded me for. I think I they bet, drew, threw a parade for me when I announced that was my uh, fifth favorite movie of all so time. It was just, it's so unpredictable. A lot of streets downtown closed for that parade. I'm sorry. Anyway, but. we're we're at number four. And I feel like you, I'll just start because I think you can guess my number four. <sighs> There's some big ones that you haven't mentioned. Yes. And um, this, is, this is a big gun. Is this a more recent picture? This film is from 1978. This is John Carpenter's Halloween. You're exactly right. So John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. I love this film for so many reasons. But the main reason that I love it and the main reason it ends up on my list, because certainly, you know, there are a lot of horror films on my list and and a lot in the top 20. But the reason why this one in particular lands isn't what you think it is. Okay. It isn't because of the amazing sort of stalking that's happening in this film. And Which the, is all amazing. It is. And the weird, creepy, I'm going to lift this dude up and stare in his eyes, stalker shit. Absolutely. And the music, Corp- Carpenter score, or any number of those other things that make this a great horror film. What I actually love the most about this film are just the young woman walking on a fall day, talking. Yeah. There's something so deeply, for me, nostalgic about totally. this film and those scenes and driving and, you know, sort of they're smoking pot in the car and listening to uh, Blue Oyster Cult. And it just is such a time capsule moment of 70s high school, which is a I did not experience the 1970s in high school. I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I I did look so fondly at that as a ver- as a as a youngster thinking how cool these women were. And I loved everything about the that and then and then into the babysitting and the everything that makes this a, in some ways a teen film. I love that texture of this um, and and the fact that it's set during fall. Everything about it, the school stuff, the walking home stuff, the the watching films with the kids you're babysitting and sort of jumping from babysitter house to babysitter house in the neighborhood. All of that is is what puts this at number four on my list because it's glorious. Yeah, it's a perfect movie. Uh, we've it talked a- about it on the podcast at length before. Yeah. Yeah. It made my top 20. It's it's at my number 16 on my list. I yeah. love John Carpenter's Halloween masterpiece. I'm not as hot as you are on the franchise as a I whole. I know you aren't. Um, but only because I hold this first film in such high esteem because I, I don't think anybody's even come close to 
to touching it. It's magical. And I, I, I am a fan of the series. I'm a fan of what the series does. I'm a fan of continuing this narrative thread throughout my entire life. Yeah. And certainly Jamie Lee Curtis's adult life. And I love the connectivity. I love that, you know, they cast, that Carpenter cast Jamie Lee Curtis, who's Janet Lee's daughter. Janet Lee, of course, the star of Psycho. Just what an amazing, and then and then we see Janet Lee show up later in this, yeah. in the series, I think in H2O. And so every right. everything about the series and its connectivity makes me really happy. And I'm looking forward to Halloween Kills and, of course, Halloween Ends. Uh, it is the trailer for Halloween Kills is is something else. I'm I'm very excited, including yeah. the reference to Halloween Three, which as we know doesn't include Michael Myers. Anyway, I could do an entire Halloween podcast. I won't do that to you right now, but it is certainly a well deserved number four on my list. I'm sure we're going to talk about Halloween Kills in a couple weeks when yeah, we both see so. it because I'm going to be there as soon as I possibly can. Even though. As we've already talked about, I'm a little lukewarm on the 2018 I know Halloween revival. But are um, you not like are you not excited about the trailer? I'm extremely excited okay. about it. I, I, th- I think the trailer looks, looks great. I think it looks great too. Um, I thought the first, you know, that that reboots trailer looked great though, and I was a little I hear let that. down so by you're, it. So, so you're, you're I'm little, apprehensive. You're gun shy. You're gun shy. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be there literally opening day. Sure. To see this thing. Um, by the way, um, I I before I got here was listening in, in my car to a new podcast episode from um, the Fangoria podcast, the King cast, uh, which is about the work of Stephen King Yeah, and uh, their guest in this latest episode, Jamie Lee Curtis talking yes. about Rob Reiner's stand by me. Um, and she is just, you know, she's everything you, you hope she'd be yeah. as an interview subject. I'm a huge fan. I'm oh, just a huge too. fan. So thanks. Thank you, Jamie Lee for a, for literal lifetime of scream queen, you know, uh, many other things too, but certainly for this uh, Scream Queen content that she's delivered to us. For sure. All right. Your number four. My number four is from the year 2001. It's from a big director. We've talked about this person a lot of times already. This is the film bro movie that all of film bros like, but I think you like this too. I'm talking about David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. You know, what What can you say about it? Lynch is one of my guys. He's come up over and over again on both of our lists. And Mulholland Drive is, if we're not, if, if we are focusing exclusively on the medium of cinema, uh, Mulholland Drive is his masterpiece. Masterwork. Now, masterwork, um, for sure. Twin Peaks The Return might ultimately be my Whoa. favorite Lynch work. But that is a television series, so it is not. It does not count for the purposes of this list. Um, but Mulholland Drive is just a perfect little diamond of a movie. Um, sort of the the breakthrough role from Naomi Watts as well, at least initially, right. as a a naive uh, aspiring actress who comes to Los Angeles. Uh, and gets caught up in a bit of a Hollywood nightmare, you might say, the dark side of the the film industry, um, as she uh, her story entwines with a a brunette uh, played by Laura Elena Herring in Trouble, um, who has amnesia, and um, a film director played by Justin Thoreau, who is under pressure to hire a specific actress for a specific role in his new movie. Um, thanks to a mysterious cabal of like uh, power players and uh, ghastly figures in Hollywood who seem to control everything that's happening, including a cowboy with no eye eyebrows and um, any number of other figures. 
Does it make sense? Yes. As, as a sort of puzzle uh, dream, um, it does sort of make sense. It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. Um, it is a movie that is, uh, you know, separating its puzzle, which may or may not have an answer. Uh, a movie that I find endlessly rewatchable. Uh, a movie that I could watch pretty much any time because each scene of this thing takes you somewhere new and unfamiliar and strange. Um, and the cumulative experience of watching it is, is like nothing else. I mean, there really is even amongst Lynch's other work, nothing like this movie. Yeah, sure. Um, that's fair. And I, I just, you know, start to finish adore this thing. Um, so yeah, I know it's basic. It's one of my favorite movies though. Uh, because it just does everything I want movies to do, which is uh, surprise me and thrill me and make me laugh and terrify the absolute fuck out of me because there are some of the scariest things I've ever seen in this movie. And, you know, Lynch, as a director, does that thing where he he sets up a scene and he's like, something scary is going to happen in this scene. So just wait for it, and you're waiting for it, and you're like, okay, well, I'm braced against whatever this scary thing is. I hear scary music. Something terrible is going to happen. He's like, yeah, something terrible is going to happen. Wait for it, and you wait for it, and it still scares you, and I don't know how he does it. Uh, I'm, of course, alluding to the scene with the man behind Winkies, um, the the sort of um, homeless person who pops out very memorably and terrifyingly um, at one point in this film. Yeah, no, I, mean, I there's hear just that. nothing like it. I stand by the fact that more frightening than any horror film that's ever been made in the history of the world, the scene, the the I'm at your house. Oh, in Lost Highway. Scene in Lost Highway oh, is yeah. one of the scariest scenes in yeah, a film ever. Yeah, it so is. I, I'm with you on that on that vibe. Are you a Mulholland Drive fan in general? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. And I'm a you know me. I'm a Lynch fan in general. Um, I don't Lynch doesn't take up a lot of real estate on my list because I he sort of has his own category. I don't. Yeah. You know, I'm not really sure if especially younger me would have would have given him more space. That's no slight to to his work or to anybody else, but it's just one of those things where. The rewatching of it has changed for me. It's evolved, mm, interesting. And, and the rewatching is is a big part of it. I think both of our list, yeah, as you mentioned here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's also, my number four. It's also one of those things where I, you know, Lynch in a theatrical setting. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like you know, chef's kiss moment, right? But Lynch at home is just a little different. It's and a little different. So I, I think that's a big part of it for me too. Well, anyway. when the when the cinema screened. Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Yeah, that w- that was enough of an experience to to solidify that film's place on my sure. list. Special special film. Yeah, Very special. Film. Yeah. So I I get it. I've never seen Mulholland Drive theatrically. I would love to at some point. Yeah, oh, we'll do that at some point here. A lunch retrospective might be in order. Soon. Hey, listen, I'll be there with bells on. We got stuff to do, y'all. Um, my number three. I don't have to dig too deep into the past for. Is this uh, a film called The Nightingale? It's not. Oh. No, it's not. I'm surprised. But uh, not far off in terms of release year. This is from 2019, and it is very French. Oh, very French film from, is it Portrait of a Lady on Fire? It is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, you know that I'm not going to argue this at all. It's much lower on my top 200, but perhaps only owing to the fact that, you know, it's so recent. I I can't commit to top five 
it's hard. for a movie that's this new. But I, I it's get it. It's hard to do. I but get it. it. I, it's going to live on this list. It may not always stay, Corey, at number four, but it's going to live in the top ten. I can see it getting punched down a little bit, but not because it deserves it, but because other great films are sure to come. Sure. But this is a. I think this is an amazing film. I think this is a masterwork. I think this is a film that is poetic and gorgeous and beautiful and uh, at times really funny. Yeah. At times really sad. Uh, heart to the to the to the degree of being heartbreaking. There's also a nice little sort of mysterious reveal that that every time I've ever watched this has gotten at least a gasp from the audience. Is it the painting one? Yeah. Yeah. It's just I I love everything about this film. And from it also did the thing to me that Carol did, which Mm -hmm. is it's a very I had a very experiential moment with it upon first viewing. It is an intoxicating film in many ways. And that has really I've held on to that. So for all those reasons, we talked about this film again on the podcast a good bit. So I will leave it at that. But very worthy of your attention if you have never seen this and very worthy of a rewatch if you have. I, I would also say that this is a film I mean, what isn't? But this is particularly a film that benefits from just being hypnotized in a big screen experience. Oh, 100%. Um, Because it is so immersive. Yeah. Um, And if you're watching it at home with – you know, your phone in your hand and all sorts of noises and distractions around you. It's not, um, you're not going to get it. You're not, not going to get, get what it's doing. Experience. There's just no way. Exactly. It's it's actually, I think it's a difficult film to not watch in a theater. Do you know what I mean? Like there's I something do. about the breathtaking nature of, of this, you know, when, when you're in an immersive sound, immersive screen, it, if you haven't seen it, and I do think this, if you haven't seen that film theatrically, you really haven't seen the film. So if you disagree with it being in the top of my list and you haven't seen it in a theater, you're just wrong. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're just wrong. Go see it in a theater and let's talk. Uh, Celine Siama retrospective. Yeah, I'd totally do that, even though some more earlier work, not really my thing. Oh, yeah? I haven't yeah. seen yeah. a couple of them. It's fine. Yeah. But, you know, not really my thing. Okay. But anyway, it's a, it's a great film. It's number three. And let's keep on moving. Well, my number three is from the year 2011, the winner of the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival uh, from director Terrence Malick. It is The Tree of Life. Of course it um, is. A movie that is notorious at my day job because I teach it to my ninth grade English class. And how do they like that? They don't. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, think of it as, you know, I'm, I'm taking a bullet for, um, you know, Despite their protest, their their protests exposing these ninth graders to art cinema, um, whether they like it or not, and and um, Malik, you know, has been a little bit more concrete in his career. His earlier films, like Badlands, yeah. like Days of Heaven, yeah. are a little less abstract. Um, his later films lean a little bit too far into the abstraction i'm thinking about like this recent trilogy uh, including song to song and um to the wonder um but the tree of life for me is the perfect sweet spot um a, a coming of age story that deals with uh the great questions of existence the presence of god in in our lives um you know the big existential questions why are we here why do people suffer what is death um and it doesn't purport to have an answer to any of these questions, but it represents them visually in a way that I've never seen any other filmmaker even attempt, uh, much less pull off. Um, the, the film's kind of notorious for um, 
you know, jumping around chronologically, including, you know, not only a significant portion of the film taking place in the 1950s in small town Texas, mostly following a young boy grow up and come of age and deal with his parents, but also jumping back to the creation of the universe, the Big Bang, and the evolution of life on Earth. Um, and then jumping well into the future, into the realm of the metaphysical, into you know imagining what uh, what heaven is like. What yeah, you spend a, a little reunion, time in heaven. Yeah, what a reunion with your lost loved ones would be like uh, on some sort of heavenly beach. And look, I mean, the, the film is a, is a poem. Um, it is it excites every little um, nook and cranny of my English teacher brain. Sure, um, it is ripe for interpretation. Um, visually, it is splendid um, to degrees that you don't see in too many films. I mean, the thing's magnificently shot. Um, and it's just a big open heart of a movie that I, I loved unreservedly the first time I, I saw it in 2011 in a cinema. I watched this movie several times a year because I teach it. Um, it's been a little while, though, because of COVID. Right. Um, so I, I'm anticipating my annual rewatch in 45-minute increments in my, my class period um, coming up pretty soon. I just love it. I love – I just love it so much. I love everything about it. I really do. Well – That's why it's my number three favorite film of all time. We have fought about this film before. I know. So if you are interested, listeners, um, we can – Sam, maybe in the in the little ride up here, we could list what episode to go listen to for the five minute fight of uh, of this uh, of this film, Tree of Life, and uh, just a little preview of that fight. After seeing this film, my father said, and it certainly is all the things you've described. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But he he looks at me and he goes, "They got the windows wrong in the house." Yeah, it's you told me about not that. Not inaccurate. Those were yeah. inaccurate. <laughs> So um, one of my favorite reactions and a very dad reaction to Tree of Life. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, um, that's that's the one criticism I can't refute. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. My number, what are we on now? Two. Number two? All right. Your second favorite oh, movie of all time. My second favorite movie of all time. You, this, already, you already said it. This is The Nightingale. This is definitely The Nightingale. This is from 2018. Yep. This is uh, the masterwork directed by Jennifer Kent. And yeah, I mean, we just moved a little bit more down the nihilistic spectrum. Oh, a little bit. Can, 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 (laughs) you know, expect that to continue. It is an amazing film. It is, I think, a perfect film. Is it a kind film? No. Is it a pleasant film? No. Are you going to be really upset and potentially pissed off in the first 15 minutes of this thing? Yes, probably. Are you going to write an email to the the creative director of the Sidewalk Film Festival about it? Uh, probably. Yeah. Somebody certainly did more than one person. Yep. So yeah, it, it is not here. This film is not here to please you. This film is not here to dazzle you. This film is here to fuck you up. It Which is, it does. It is here to rub your face and shit. And sometimes films need to do that. It is a cruel, nasty motherfucker, but it is also rooted in some really deep truth. Yeah, and uh, I've talked about it a good bit on the on the podcast, and so I will hush. Uh, but if you have never seen this film, I encourage you to see it. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. It would, you know, it doesn't come anywhere close to my top two hundred, obviously. But I really like this movie for yeah. a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. It's not only you know a, a really bracing look at at sort of the gendered violence that has haunted. I don't know, civilization right. forever. Um, but but the particular cruelty and racism of the sort of colonization of Australia, which is Jennifer Kent's 
yes. native country. Um, and, and the film, it kind of uses the, the rape revenge template as a starting point to delve into a lot of atypically uncomfortable territory in a particularly bracing way. It's a very angry film. Yeah. And deservedly so. So anyway. That's great, great movie. Great um, film. That's my number two. Yeah. Yeah. No argument here. It's really, really good. Well, here we are. <sighs> number two from 1998. This is, this was, was baby teenager Corey Kraft's favorite movie for a really long time. It's been bumped to number two because, you know, I opened my eyes a little bit and, um, I don't know. I still love this movie. It's here not only for nostalgic reasons, but because it holds up and it kind of introduced the world, not his debut picture, but introduced the world to Wes Anderson and the style of Wes Anderson. Uh, I'm talking about Rushmore. Um, just a perfect comedy drama that has all of the absurd sort of quirky comedy that you expect from Anderson, but also um, perhaps most clearly and capably captures the depth of feeling and melancholy that pervades a lot of his work as well. Um, I kind of, and this isn't going to surprise you at all. I kind of thought I was Max Fisher for a little while as, as that a kid. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I don't think that surprises anybody. Um, I, I identified very, very strongly with this character despite having no interest in theater whatsoever. Um, but but his the sort of lovelorn, precocious um, teen who um, attends this, this prestigious uh, academy uh, on scholarship – um, and is a complete disaster at everything academic, even as he excels um, in creating clubs and being sort of a, a social gadfly. Uh, he falls in love with a, a much older teacher and befriends a depressed millionaire played by Bill Murray in you know a career-defining turn for Bill Murray, a career-reinventing turn, I think it's safe to say. Um, and, it, and it just spirals into – you know, farce, but also really deeply felt emotional, um, dramatic moments as well. Um, I just, I, I love it. I mean, it's just, it's lightning in a bottle, this thing. Um, and it's one of the, those, again, those early movies like Magnolia was for me, which I mentioned last time. Um, one of those early movies that kind of opened my eyes to what modern cinema could be, uh, and what it could do. Um, and you know, you just don't get better than that. I love it. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> I don't disagree with anything you said, except, you know, maybe when you thought you were. Well, clearly I'm not. The character. Um, yeah. That's something to aspire to, though. Sure. So we're at number one for me. All right. We're well, at number one. Uh, you've made no secret of your uh, favorite film of all is, time. This is no mystery. No. So my number one. Favorite film of all time, and we mentioned we were getting more nihilistic, and we certainly are in that territory, is directed by Jonathan Glazer from the year, I believe, 2004. Yep. Yes, indeed. I just checked. It is the film Birth, starring Nicole Kidman, and it is also a nasty little film, but in a very different way. Yeah. And so you know the premise of this. Um, a little boy shows up on the doorstep of a very wealthy uh New Yorker, let's call it this, that lives, yeah. lives in a very uh, lovely apartment, in upper, probably Upper East is what it seems like. Yeah. 
uh, and it shows up one evening and says, I am your ex, your dead ex-husband in the, in the body of a, what, 11, 12-year-old little boy. And, um, yeah, that she believes him. Eventually. Eventually. Eventually, she believes him. That doesn't bode well for her brand new fiance or her mother or anybody else really in her world. Uh, turns out that's not you know it's frowned upon, and uh, so there's some there's some stuff. And 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 the movie takes some turns that aren't really what you would expect. I agree. Um, I love this movie. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but there are a couple indelible images from it. The first is the the prologue with. You know, Alexandre Desplat's score yeah. just going so hard as a man jogs through a snowy Central Park. This is as we come to discover uh, Nicole Kidman's character's husband who collapses and dies at the exact moment a child is born. Um, the prologue shows us. And um, he's just given a lecture. He's a professor. Yeah. And he's just given a lecture, which you hear in voiceover, uh, about whether or not he believes in reincarnation. And he certainly does not. And then um, the the sort of central – the centerpiece shot of this movie um, is this uh, – it's, it's this push in on Nicole Kidman's face when she is in the audience at an opera. Yeah, there's no, there's no other shot like this really. This is an amazing long take. It is a moment of pure performance. It is influential in many, many ways uh, on other films, including Portrait of a Lady on Fire that yeah. I mentioned. And this, this is a perfect film. This is a perfect film. There's not a single scene in this film, not a single frame in this film that I wouldn't stand behind and embrace. And it's a masterwork. And, you know, is it controversial? Yes. Again, is it kind? No. You know. Is it available on Blu-ray? Also, no. Come on. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Release this on Blu-ray. Uh, anyway, that's my number one. Without further ado, passing it to you. My number one is Steven Spielberg's Jaws, my favorite okay. movie of all time. Okay. Um, uh, you know what? It hadn't registered to me that it, that you hadn't talked about it yet. Yep. But if it had, then I would know. I would have guessed. But my, it just didn't register that you hadn't talked about it yet. But okay. I've probably seen cool. this movie more times than any other movie. It's um, an interesting choice to me, but. Well, I mean, to me, this movie has it all. This is a horror film that is also an observational drama about, you know, the dynamics on Amity Island uh, that, uh, you know, dips its toes into like Robert Altman style, you know, dealing with a city council debate, a certain issue and like crosstalk and everything. That's also a fun uh, sort of lighthearted comedy because Spielberg always has moments of levity in his movies. That's also just a rollicking adventure movie, especially in the last part where our three main protagonists head to sea to finally catch and kill this shark that's been terrorizing Amity Island. Um, so in that sense, Jaws is the complete package for me. Um, it was a great summer film. It absolutely an amazing summer film, an amazing Fourth of July film, is that's when the sure. bulk of the film takes place around the Fourth of July holiday. Uh, look, this is one of the most famous movies ever made. I, I don't think that I'm um, shedding new light on Jaws, uh, but my personal journey with this—I mean, it's a movie that I watched a million times as a kid. It's a movie that I watched a million times um, as I've grown older. I still watch it. I, I have, you know, the 4K Blu-ray that's in amazing, you know, high ultra high definition quality at home. Uh, I've I've seen it in theaters. I've I've just gone 
um, the full distance with this film. And every time I see it, it is as entertaining as the first time I saw it. I, I really don't understand how a, uh, a very young Steven Spielberg pulled this thing off and not only pulled it off, but pulled it off under duress because, you know, famously so many things went wrong during the production of this thing and, and made something that, that feels very unlike anything else that, um, is so tremendously entertaining uh, and innovative and and just brilliant on a scene to scene basis. There's nothing in this movie that I dislike. There's nothing that I would lose. Everything has character to it as well. All the supporting characters, you know, cast from um, you know locals on Martha's Vineyard where they largely shot this thing. Um, I mean, they, they just have faces. And I don't know everybody has a face, but you know what I mean? Like there are so many movies where background actors and, and performers just feel anonymous. And it's like, a you know, some AD herded some people uh, into the background with no sort of plan or deliberation behind it. It's just like, we need bodies. Well, Jaws feels different. Jaws feels lived in, um, in, in ways that make it sort of endlessly rewatchable just to notice things happening in the background. Um, Couple of great trick shots too, and oh my god, so, so really, many. and I love a simple trick shot. Yeah, so there's a couple um, of nice, nice moments that are you know, and clearly influence folks like Spike Lee. Of course, I mean this thing has influenced just about Paul everybody. Thomas Anderson. Yeah, I mean, it's like clearly, you know, a lot of a lot of connectivity here with us. So it's just you know, innovative um, and entertaining and brilliantly made and suspenseful and funny and. I mean, Robert Shaw on this thing is just the best. I, you know, it's, I know it's basic, but this is a movie again that I can watch literally from start to finish any day. Um, and, and get just the same amount of pleasure out of it that I, that I always have. I love it to death. And that's why it's my favorite movie. It's just, it's the movie I've seen the most times. It's the movie that I rewatch the most times and I just never get sick of it. Well, there it is. That's our top 100, our top 200, really, I should say. I, I can't help but notice that giant man-eating sharks are not well represented on your top 200 list. They're really not. But, yeah. you know, little boys who come back and say that they're grown men are, you That's know, true. Um, you know, scenes that kill babies in the first 10 minutes, they are. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, there's there's shit on there, Corey. Don't worry. There's well, shit on there. Well, that's that's fine. There's some stuff. Yeah, man. that's fine. Um, but yeah, that does it. Uh, love to hear what you think. Podcast it at uh, what is it? Sidewalkfest.com. Podcast at sidewalkfest.com. That's right. How did I mess that one up? I don't know. It's I've been, been a long thinking day. about these 200 films. And now a look at what we're watching this week. Corey. Yes, Rachel. Oh, guess what I've been watching. Oh, what have you been watching? Okay. Well, you know, I put together music videos for the cinema. Uh-huh. So I'm not bringing you anything today. I really haven't seen anything in the last week that's that's that I can really talk about that's substantial that I think is worth our time. But sure. I can tell you something that is definitely worth taking up some airtime. Okay. And that is that while I was searching for these music videos that I put on in the lobby and I curate these, I came across a really interesting clip. This clip was from an MTV spring break, I'm assuming, in the early 2000s. Oh, my God. Get ready for it. Okay. And it involves Crazy Town. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady. Sure. Who among us does not remember Crazy Everybody Town? Everybody remembers Crazy Town. Okay. And Butterfly. Uh, so, yeah. Come, my lady. Uh, they are performing 
on spring break, MTV spring break, uh -huh. simultaneous, simultaneous with a fashion show. Oh, no. And a fashion show that is, it's something. And they're mm -hmm. introduced by Tyrese who's wearing a pair of jeans that come very... I mean, I was waiting for a wardrobe malfunction. I didn't actually realize that a waist was that long, ever. And so they're introduced by Tyrese with no shirt on and the pants coming very low, standing next to a woman in, in the tiniest bikini I've ever seen. They bring Crazy Town out. Crazy Town shoots onto the stage along with models uh -huh. uh, wearing summer gear sure. it's for the fashion show. And they're just... Go into town singing, come my lady, come, come my lady. Uh, Their one song. They had one. That one. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And in addition to that, the lead singer is wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm a lesbian. Great. Yes. And he does a stage dive. All of this happens within about three and a half minutes. It's an explosion that I don't really know how to wrap my arms around. I felt like I needed to bring this to the podcast today. Well, I appreciate that you did because that... Oh, there's a lot to unpack with with this. Um, the the brief wondrous career of Crazy Town, um, just representing and, and Tyrese and every probably model that walked on the stage wearing very odd early two thousands clothing. Tyrese has at least been able to reinvent his career somewhat by being in those Fast and Furious movies. I hear that. So he remains okay, slightly he, he, relevant. He, he remains. You know what? The lead singer of Crazy Town too, when he does the stage dive. At the very end, the audience almost immediately puts him back on stage. Good. That might be my favorite part. He's stage diving in a t-shirt that says, I'm a lesbian. And they almost immediately are like, nope, back to the stage, dude. They should have just like parted and <laughs> let him let him fall. Um, no, I... Come, I, I, my maybe lady. He's a, come, come, my lady. Maybe come he's a fly, um, sugar, baby. decent come gentleman, but I'm inclined Brad, to believe you not. <laughs> You're on it. Um, simply because that song represents like the 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 lowest point of that um, first uh, Bush administration pop oh, music. And so like, much more. I mean, when I watched this, I was like, okay, this is where COVID was invented because <laughs> because we fucking deserve it. Like this, there's no way that this cesspool of nonsense and. I don't even know how to describe the, it. The the chlamydia is tangible in the air. Like it definitely created it, it. It all of these things combined to create a more perfect evil. You know, like th this. This <laughs> reminds me generally of just like the spring break mythology that I think MTV was largely responsible for in the late nineties into the two thousands. And you know, when I got to college, everybody was like spring break, and I was like, shoot me in the head. I'd rather. You know, I no way. I'm never, never in a million years would want to be uh, part of a, a crowd like that. that you were sounds... probably like when Rory Gilmore and Paris Geller go on spring break on Gilmore Girls. Uh, no, I, I'm trying to think of how they, they watch the they watch the Power of Myth. Oh, oh, awesome! <laughs> no, totally, room. totally, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think the most memorable spring break I can recall. And I wasn't in college yet. It was spring break 2004. Um, I was already working at Hollywood Video, I think. Um, not, no surprise there. Uh, but I saw uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I was like, hey, spring break, baby, living it up. Party. Yeah, partying. Uh, so, oh, um, you know, that was a good time. It was well, a good time. Those were the days, not the days. I mean, it could have been the same year as this crazy town, Tyrese. It might have been. Look, don't pit. don't wait for us to screen Dune at the cinema. Don't wait for us to screen, you know, French Dispatch. Am I saying that right? The French Dispatch. French yeah. Dispatch. 
come to the cinema to watch this crazy town video. It will be in heavy rotation on the monitors in the lobby. Great. Anyway, what are you watching? Uh, well, I only saw one thing that I really feel like bringing up, but I don't want to tell you too much about it because you haven't seen it. I presume. Okay. Well, just tell me just a little bit. Julia we'll... Ducorno's Titan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have not seen it yet. It um, is playing at the cinema now, but we'll be gone by the time this airs. Oh, alas. Um, but I, I got a slack from you that you, you said, see it immediately. And I said, vroom, vroom, motherfuckers, because uh, you ain't never seen something this crazy. Uh, this movie is off the fucking chain. I love Titan. I love it so much. It starts um, in... Think think if the movie Emma were a portrait of a remorseless serial killer who had a sexual attraction to automobiles. I mean, that basically is Emma. It's not too far <laughs> removed from it. You're right. But it's 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 kind of playing in the same territory. And then it moves from this place of extreme body horror as the film progresses into more startling territory that I don't want to reveal. Okay. Um, Let's not spoil it for me or for the listener. I'm not spoiling but This nothing. is coming with a big stamp of, of approval. It's the you. craziest movie I ever seen. And really? I mean, not maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's up there. Up there uh, because just wait till you see some of the provocation okay. uh, that Julia Ducourneau puts on screen. I can't remember. Did, have you seen her first film, Raw? I have. And, yeah. I, and I like it a lot. Yeah. Raw is great. Uh, Titan kind of pushes that degree of body horror provocation to a new level. Nice. Um, and to to a thematic point, it's not just provocation for the sure. sake of provocation. Um, you know, uh, as as she and the star of this film, who is a a new actress, by the way, a first time actress, non professional, which is stunning because she's incredible in this movie. Yeah. Um, but as her and her actress say. Sort of jokingly, but not really. They say, yeah, the movie's really about love. And it is, in a way, <laughs> um, that I don't want to reveal. Okay. Um, well, I'm we, looking forward we to We need to have it. a longer conversation Let's about Titan after you see it. Cool. Maybe we can do a spoiler discussion on this podcast so the spoiler squeamish can tune out. Uh, but needless to say, I think this movie has Rachel Morgan written all the fuck over well, it. Well, I am. I'm excited. I can't wait. One of my favorite movies of the year, needless cool. to say. And another uh, really <laughs> strong release from our friends at Neon who put this thing, God bless them, on nearly 550 screens this past weekend onto an unsuspecting American populace. I love that so much. Yeah. It's not that it's inaccessible. It's just that it starts at 11 and somehow cranks it up and gets crazier from there. Can't wait. I want to see it again. I, I might try to do that before it leaves the sidewalk cinema, which it will have already done by the time you hear this. Alas. Or at least close to it. Yeah, or at least yeah, close to it. Take a look it. just in case. Um, but, oh, my God. I mm, I just can't I can't sing this movie's praises enough. It's so cool. It's so gross. I, I averted my eyes from the screen so many don't, times. Don't get the mozzarella sticks. Um, but, you know, averting your, your eyes from the screen – it won't help you with the sounds. Oh, the sounds. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, that's that's my unqualified, glowing nice. recommendation about the most fucked up movie of 2021. Well, and it's been so a far. fucked up year. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see Same how um, we'll see how uh, some of the movies to come play out. Like Spencer. Mm, could that be fucked up? We'll could see. Be. Probably not like this. Probably not. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic Gary and Jakey Busey. Okay. Oof. So, uh, my Gary Busey voice is basically just my Holly Hunter voice. Let's hear it. Hey, my name's Gary Busey. Yeah. Well, and my name's also Holly Hunter. That's pretty much. They are pretty much one and the same. I played Buddy Holly in a film. And I also play the piano in the piano. I also have a, a really great mugshot out there on the web. Yeah, God bless him. Um, anyway, well, thanks for listening. Thanks to Batwell Studios. Thanks to our sponsor, Revelator Coffee. Revelator! Thanks to Splash96 for our music. Sidewalkfest.com uh, or at Sidewalk Film on social media for cinema updates. We have three classic horror films playing throughout the month of October if you're in the spooky season mood. Yeah, The Craft, the yeah, original. Which I still haven't seen. I'm going to try to see it soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, 1984. You didn't go with the remake? And <laughs> if Oh, you, the if, look. If, if, if looks could kill. Oh, and that was, you know, nobody likes that remake. So <laughs> that was very obviously a joke. And yet the uh, look that I got and still deserved for even bringing it up. Oh, don't even. That film doesn't exist to me. I don't know her. Um, and then Halloween 1978. So, you know. Which I think we've talked about enough on this episode. We, For sure. We both so approve So come, come to the cinema and see them. Have a blessed day. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.